Our text for this morning's sermon is Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7 and 10. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. After the proclamation of the word, let us respond with hymn 29, stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today we are celebrating Easter. This is a day on which we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the grave after he was crucified. Today we celebrate the fact that Christ Jesus came to life after he was executed by the Roman soldiers by crucifixion. The story of the resurrection is more than just a happy ending story. It's not a fairy tale. Rather, it tells us that death is not final. Since Christ has risen from the dead, death itself, the enemy death, has been conquered. Christ's death makes it possible for every human being to be resurrected, just as Christ was resurrected. This gives us comfort in our lives. This gives us joy in our lives. We can know that there is more for us, more that is awaiting us than a coming death. Death is not final. We can look forward to life after death because Jesus Christ has risen. We often think about the future blessings of Christ's resurrection, as I have just been speaking about. But what about the present blessings? What blessings do we enjoy today because of Christ's resurrection? Well, there's hope for us. There's comfort for us. That's one thing. But wait, there's more. The Heidelberg Catechism says in Lord's Day 17, By his power we too are raised up to a new life. When I asked my catechism students when this happens, many of them replied, this happens in the future. This happens when Christ comes back. But our catechism is not speaking about some future event here. It's speaking about a past event. It says that we are raised up. Not we will be raised up, but we are raised up. And that's also what Ephesians 2 says when it says there that we are made alive with Christ. It's not speaking about some future rising from the dead, 
but it's speaking about a rising from the dead which has already happened. This morning we will see that we already have been raised from the dead through Christ's resurrection. I bring to you the word of God under the following theme. By Christ's power, God raises us up to a new life. And we'll see two things. God makes us alive in Christ, and he makes us live for God. By Christ's power, God raises us up to a new life. God makes us alive in Christ, and he makes us live for God. The death that I am speaking of here is not our physical death. We have not been raised from the dead physically. We have not even died yet physically. But what death are we speaking about here? Well, if we look at Ephesians 2 verse 1, it says there, As for you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions in which you used to live. Paul wrote this letter to people who were born Gentiles, but had come to believe in God through Jesus Christ. The majority of the church in Ephesus was likely from a pagan and unbelieving background. They were baptized and made members of God's household. Paul tells them that they were dead in their sin. They were alive physically, but they were dead in regards to their sinfulness. But then, verse 3 makes it clear that it was not just the pagans who had been living in sin. It says, all of us, namely the Jews, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And in verse 5, the Apostle Paul writes, about both groups together when he says that they were made alive in Christ even when they were dead in transgressions. The point is this. Everyone is dead in sin. We're born that way. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile makes no difference. Whether you were baptized as a baby or as an adult, it makes no difference. If, it start, if you started going to church at age 3 or 30, makes no difference. Baptism doesn't prevent this, does not stop it. We're all born in sin. This may strike us as strong language. Do we have to go as far as to say that we're dead in our sins? Many will try to downplay our sinfulness And they don't like to speak about man being dead, but they like to speak about man being ill. Many preachers proclaim that mankind has been weakened by the fall into sin. And if anyone accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they will be made healthy again. Is that so? Are we sick or are we dead? If you look at Genesis 3, we can read there how God told Adam and Eve that if they even touched the fruit of the tree, or if they touched the tree itself that was in the middle of the garden, they would die. And they not only touched the tree, they ate of the fruit of the tree. And not only did Adam and Eve die years later, 
But the instant they ate of the fruit of that tree, they died spiritually. That is why when God came to them and called, Adam, where are you? They hid. They fled from God's presence. That's why Adam and Eve both played the blame game before God, rather than admit that they were sinful. Adam blamed his wife Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And these effects of sin spread to all their descendants. And that is why the Apostle Paul says that we are dead in our sins and transgressions. And that's why we need to be made alive again. That's why we need a resurrection. True, we need to be resurrected from our dead state after we die physically. But physical death is only a symptom of a much deeper problem, namely spiritual death. We have been raised from spiritual death. Now, we have to be raised from that spiritual death if we are to enjoy any happy and holy eternal life with God. Such a life is alien to us as long as we are dead in our transgressions. That's why our sinfulness has to be done away with. Now, we often speak about the work which Christ does in washing our sins away. That is what Christ did on the cross for us. We celebrated that last Friday. Last Friday was Good Friday. We celebrated the fact that Christ paid for all of our sins. But the removal of all our sins is not enough. We also have to be purged from our sinfulness. We cannot live with God in a life of death. That's why we need Christ's resurrection. Romans 6 says that just as Christ died to put to death our sins, so Christ was raised from the dead so that we might have a new life. What is this new life? This new life is a life of freedom from sins. It is a life of belonging to God rather than to the devil. It is a life of righteousness rather than wickedness. It means that when we say, that's what we mean when we say that we're now spiritually alive. Of course, when we're made alive in Christ, that does not, become, that does not mean that we suddenly become perfect people. We do not lose that sinful state completely so that we never sin again. For that we have to wait until Christ comes a second time. But even though we remain sinful people, that does not mean that we cannot be made alive to Christ. When Christ makes us alive with him, that means that he becomes our master instead of the devil. This is primarily a change in who is our boss. Since Christ rose from the dead, you all have a new boss. Instead of doing what Satan tells us to do, we now have to obey Christ. Instead of sin ruling over us, 
we now live our lives for Christ, even though we're still sinful people who still live in a sinful world. And that's something that God does in you through Jesus Christ. This is not something you can accomplish on your own. It's not something you can do on your own. Not at all. This is something that Christ does in you. Now, how does this happen? And is this something that happens now? Or does it happen sometime in the future? If we look to our text, we can see that all of these verbs indicate that the rising up has already happened. It says that God made us alive, not that he makes us alive. It says that God seated us with Christ, not that he is seating us or will seat us with Christ. This is something which already happened to the Ephesians when they were sinners. In Romans 6, the Apostle Paul says that this happens through baptism. Through baptism, we are buried with Christ and raised to live a new life. Thus, this is not something which is ongoing, nor is God waiting for us to respond and to rise up. You do not have to commit your life to Christ first for this to happen. You do not have to agree to it or ask for it. It has already happened to you if you're baptized. We must remember that this is something that Christ does in us. It is Christ who raises us up to a new life. Notice that our text not only speaks about being raised up with Christ, but it also speaks about being seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. Christ is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. And our text says that we are seated with him. This means that our citizenship is in heaven, as the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3, verse 20. We belong to heaven, not to this earth. It means that we are made kings, just as Christ is our king. We are not just mere subjects of God, our king. We are also his children. As spiritually alive people, we are royalty. Before God the Father, we are special people because his Son died for us and he raised us from the dead and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This does not mean that we're all suddenly raptured out of this world and we get to live in heaven already. We still live on this earth, but we live as people who belong to heaven and who have access to heaven. We enjoy heavenly blessings in this life. Our prayers ascend to heaven, right up to the throne room of God, where God hears our prayers. Thus we belong to heaven and not to this earth which we live upon. We enjoy the benefits of belonging to heaven with Christ, who has already ascended and he is there already. Thus, we don't have to worry about whether we will go to heaven after we die, as many people do. If we belong to heaven right now through Christ, then we will surely belong in heaven 
when Christ comes a second time. Why does God do all this? Why does God love us so much? God raised us up with Christ for his glory. It's amazing that our sins are forgiven through Christ. But how much more amazing isn't it that God also comes to us dead sinners and breathes new life into us as dead corpses so that we become spiritually alive Think of how glorious it is for God when he sees his own people whom he made to become spiritually alive, serving him and serving him willingly. How wonderful it is that there are people who want to serve God, not just out of fear of going to hell, but out of the desire to love God who loved them first. Spiritually alive people Give glory to God by praising his name. God does this in order that he might show the riches of his grace, which comes through Jesus Christ to the coming ages. Exegetes of this passage are not all agreed on what exactly it means by the coming ages. Some suggest that this glory is displayed to all future ages so that this would include the coming generations of Christians throughout history until Christ comes back and beyond. Others say this refers only to the time after Christ comes back. But either way you explain the text, it is clear that in the future age, people will look back to how Christ has saved us and renewed us and made us alive with Christ. And they will marvel at what God did. And then all the glory goes to God for raising us up. Now that brings us to our second point. Spiritually alive people live like spiritually alive people. Since you have been made alive with Christ, you must and will act like spiritually alive people if indeed you have been raised from being dead in transgressions. In verse 10 we read that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. That means that we're God's making. We're something that's made by God. We were created to do good works. That was the case for Adam and Eve in paradise God put them there. God put them in the Garden of Eden and he gave them the task to till the ground and to serve it. That was their work. And by doing that work, they would bring glory to God. And so also God made us to do good works. God prepared them in advance for us to do. Just as Paul wrote in chapter 1 and says that God elected us to salvation and to be his sons, so now we also learn that God decided before we even existed that we should do good works. Do you ever think about the fact that God put you on this earth to do good works? Did you ever think of this as God's purpose for having you here. God put you all on this earth where you are so that you could praise and glorify his name 
in all you do. That's your purpose in life. That's why God raised you up from being dead in your transgressions and seated you with Christ in the heavenly realms. He showed you love in saving you and making you alive in Christ. And he did all this so that he himself may be praised. Therefore, we must do those good works which God made us to do. That means that we must fight sin. We must put sin out of our lives. Colossians 3 verse 2 said, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That is why this passage then gives the command, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And we can call sexual immorality and lust and greed and all these sins idolatry, even though we do not bow down to idols and cultic worship. They're still idolatry because they take us away from service to God. And they themselves will become the center of our lives if they take over. And since we have been raised from our dead state, we cannot go back to these things. We are commanded to expel these things from our lives. We have to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. In other words, we have to live our lives for Christ We have to do those good works, not because we are saved by them, but because that's what spiritually alive people do. It's not enough just to show up at church on Sunday to do your two hours of religious duty and then go back home and live like transgressors. I think that everyone here wants the forgiveness of sins through Christ's death. And everybody wants a future resurrection after they die. But when it comes to being raised up to a new life right now, why is it that so often we don't want that? It's easy to point our finger at other people, but what about ourselves? By nature, we do not want to live that new life to which we have been raised. We often find that we have the attitude that we want to escape from doing good works and we want to live like the world. It can be heard in the way people talk. Filthy language, destructive language, proud language. It can be heard when people act selfishly, chasing after lust or pride instead of serving the God who saves them from these things can be seen in the way that people want to fit in with the world. Watching TV programs or videos that glorify sin rather than God by drinking excessively and quarreling, and I could go on. In the coming ages, will your legacy be one of serving God and doing good works or one of serving yourself? I'm not saying that we should do good works for the sake of our own legacy. We should not do it for proud reasons, not at all. 
But will your life show the riches of God's mercy in the coming ages? Is it the purpose of your life to serve God so that you will be a shining example of how gracious God is? I'm not saying that we all have to live a perfect life. I'm sure that the older members in particular in our midst who have lived a long life can attest to the fact that we cannot live a perfect life because we're sinners. We can't do that. But what we can do in our lives is to live in such a way that God's name is glorified. We can live a new life in God, our new boss whom we serve. He is the Lord of our life. This means that this does not mean that we have to go out in search of all kinds of good works that we could do. We don't have to follow the relentless pursuit of various activities that God would consider good enough to be good works. Indeed, when you look at Christians who think that they have to do good works in order to be saved, you'll notice that they will put a value on different good works. They're, they're always concerned that they have done enough good works to value salvation. And they're always concerned that the total value of all their good works is enough to achieve salvation, that the Lord would accept it. And some serious people will even give up everything in order to make sure that the invisible value of their good works will be high enough before the Lord, even though they can never be sure. In the Middle Ages, many religious leaders were so crass as to put a value on good works to the extent that every good work was worth a certain amount of time in off from purgatory. They would say that by viewing a relic, you'd get so much time out of purgatory. By praying so often, you would get so much time out of purgatory and so on. But we don't have to think that way, thankfully. We're not under the pressure to do enough good works in order to be saved. And yet we're still under the obligation to do good works. Because we have been raised up with Christ to do good works. We are under obligation to live our lives for God. You do this when your work itself is good. Whether you're a businessman or an employee... Do your business faithfully as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven would. If you're a mother, raise your children in the fear of the Lord. Raise them to know that they have been raised by the power of the Lord. And love your children as God has loved you first. If you're a young person, keep your ways pure and holy. And do not join others who want to sin, but act as one who is God's workmanship created to do good works. In whatever you do in life, do it as one who has been raised from the dead. Do it as one who has been raised from being dead in transgressions through the resurrection of Christ. Christ has risen from the dead. Praise the Lord. Praise God that you belong to him. Praise God for raising you up of your sin 
from your sin. God has raised you through Christ. And be thankful that you can look forward to a new life in Christ, even though you were born in sin. And look forward to that new life where there will be no more sin and nor will there be any more effects of sin. But remember that you have already been raised in this life. You have been raised from your spiritually dead state. You have been raised to walk in a new life. Now go and walk in that new life. Don't live in the sin from which you have been raised. Live for God's glory and do all your works in thankful service to God. For him for to him belongs all the glory and the praise forever. Amen.